Welcome to the Nach Daily, a Congregation Ahavas Torah initiative. We continue today with the 10th Perek of Sefer Shmuel, which picks up with Shmuel secretly anointing Shaul as king. He pours oil on his head, he kisses him, and he tells him that Hashem has indeed made him the king. And then Shmuel tells Shaul that he will experience a series of events. These events, three events, are not in and of themselves miraculous. They won't defy nature, but the very fact that Shmuel is able to foretell that they are going to occur makes them miraculous. He tells Shaul that on his way home, he will encounter two men at Kever Rachel, who will inform him that his family's donkeys that he had set out to find have indeed been found, and that his father is quite worried about him. Shaul will then continue on heading home, uh, and at the next stop will encounter three men making a pilgrimage to Beit El. Each of these men will be carrying certain foods and fine wine with them, and they will offer them, or some of them, to Shaul. And then finally, at yet a third stop, Shaul will encounter a band of men prophesying or engaging in some sort of ecstatic musical experience that's meant to invite or foster prophecy, And uh, Shmuel tells Shaul that he will join in with these men and he will have a kind of spiritual awakening, a kind of encounter with the divine himself. It's important to note that this is unlike anything that we've really seen before in Tanakh, as far as I can tell. On several occasions, we have had reluctant individuals uh, who were tapped for leadership and require signs or wonders from Hashem to prove that they really have been elected for their mission. For example, Moshe requires a sign, uh, several signs, in fact. Also, Gidon, who we encountered in Sefer Shoftim. This does not seem to be uh, what's happening here exactly. Despite Shaul's humility, we're not given any indication that he needs proof, that he needs some sort of miraculous sign and wonder to, uh, to demonstrate to him beyond a doubt that he has in fact been selected as king. We don't see that, uh, that type of uh, skepticism. These miracles are not designed to prove something to Shoal so much as they are designed to do something to him. They're meant to be transformative. Uh, Rav Amnon Bazak uh, points to uh, a very clear progression within these, uh, within these three um, experiences. The first, he meets two people, so the number is two, and they're ordinary people, and they give him nothing. They just tell him something. The next encounter is with three people, so we go from two to three, and these aren't just regular people. These are pious pilgrims, and they don't just tell him something. They give him something. They give him food and wine. And then in the, in the third meeting... We go from two to three, and now to four. What's four? So we have a whole group of these prof- of prophetic people, and they are carrying four instruments. Four different instruments are, are enumerated by the Pasuk. And they not only give him something, but they ena- enable him to have this ecstatic encounter with God. They give him something greater than the, a physical pleasure of food and wine. They give him a spiritual experience. And so there's clearly this ascending, um, ascending trend within these three experiences, and, and they're meant to be transformative. Shmuel says so explicitly, that this is meant to, to change Shaul into the man uh, that could be king. I think uh, that you could also look at these three experiences and, and see them as three almost concentric circles, but three different spheres of the life of a king. Uh, the first group that he encounters, that Shaul encounters, 
relates to uh, his very personal life. It relates to his family, his father's concerned about him, his property, their family donkeys. And so the king, even though he is king, still preserves personal life. He has to maintain familial connections and, uh, and of course, continue to look after himself in Enanili Mili. Next, though, he encounters this, uh, the three men who give him food, and this is almost like tribute. This is like tax. And, uh, and on the other side of the coin, it also reflects uh, the king's need to provide these, these matters of, of, of sustenance to the nation, right? It, it reflects the physical elements of the kingship, which is to provide food and, uh, and the needs of the nation, military, etc., that's the kind of uh, physical component of the kingship, receiving tribute and receiving tax, receiving gifts, but also providing that for the nation. And then finally, there was this spiritual encounter, and that's the spiritual element of the kingship that requires that Shul uh, constantly act in accordance with and lead the nation in a way that is consistent with the Torah and his divine mandate. So I think that it relates to these three different spheres of, of his life as a king, the personal there's the physical, and then there is the spiritual. Moving ahead in this narrative, um, all these things take place. We're, we don't get a recording in the text of all of them happening to Shaul. They're foretold by Shmuel, and the text just shows us we're just you know, privy to the third of these uh, different steps. Uh, and then we are told that Shaul finally arrives home, and Shaul's uncle asks him, you know, where have you been all this time? And we might expect that uh, a normal person who is uh, susceptible to just basic human human uh, faults and, and needs might want to open up to their uncle, to their dear uncle. You might want to say, hey, you know, um, actually I've become the king. And also I've experienced spiritual nirvana. <laughs> uh, th- these are... Uh, these are unbelievable human experiences and here his uncle is is asking him you know what have you been up to and as i said a normal person would likely have certainly wanted to share these experiences but shaul does not the, the, the torah the the the, the safer records that shaul does not tell his uncle what happened and this, of course, reflects very well on Shaul, because Shmuel told him to keep this to himself. And here we are finding that Shaul is maintaining fidelity uh, to Shmuel, doing as he is told. And as we will see, Shaul's rise and fall will ultimately hinge on his ability and then ultimate failure to listen to Shmuel, to listen to the Navi, to the prophet. And so at, at this point, Shaul is doing exactly what he is meant to be doing. The scene then shifts uh, to Shmuel gathering up the nation to cast lots in response to the national request for a king. Uh, Shmuel chastises the nation once more for requesting a king, that this is somehow uh, a great betrayal of, of Hashem. Uh, but uh, as, as, in, as in the previous case, he nonetheless goes through with it, as it is their prerogative ultimately to, to elect a king, to choose a king. And so Shmuel then casts lots to see who will be the king. First it falls on the tribe of Binyamin, then on the particular clan uh, in which uh, Shaul, uh, to which Shaul belongs, and then ultimately it lands on Shaul. And then at this great gathering with the whole nation present, uh, 
Shaul rides in stridently on a beautiful white horse as the sun hits the peak in the sky and he arrives and he delivers this incredible address about how the nation is going to follow God and they're going to war against all of the other nations that have defied the Jewish people and defied God and, oh wait, actually, uh, no, none of that happens. Um, That is what we might have expected or hoped to happen, Uh, but in fact, none of that takes place. Shmuel, as I said, does cast the lots. It falls on Shaul. So far, so good. Uh, And then Shaul is nowhere to be found. They They can't locate him. In fact, Hashem needs to tell them exactly where to find Shaul. And where is he? He's essentially hiding in the coat room. He's hiding there with the uh, minimum wage employees and uh, just uh, kind of keeping a very low profile. And so they go to get him. And uh, some of the people then enthusiastically throw their support behind him, while others, I think understandably, kind of murmur and say, is this really the guy who's going to save us all? Shaul doesn't defend himself. The the text says that he keeps quiet against the, the naysayers. And then basically everyone goes home. And that's the end of the parak. And the question that we're left with in this very anticlimactic moment is, is how do we assess Shaul's behavior here? Do we say that it's a display of supreme humility? You know, way to go, Shaul. This is great. As we have said before, humility is such a key uh, ingredient for a king to be successful. Or do we say that here Shaul has crossed a certain threshold? And, and now, to kind of use a modern parlance, he's acting unpresidential. He's being too modest, such that it does a disservice to not only his honor, but the honor of the kingship, and by extension, the honor of the Jewish people and Hashem. It certainly feels like he missed a really important opportunity here. And so once again, we have Sefer Shmuel succeeding uh, in painting such a complexly layered picture of Shaul, leading us uh, to see him both as a person who is well-suited and, uh, and, and has the right temperament for the kingship, and at the very same time, at the very, uh, in the very same breath, also leading us to think, well, maybe there are some flaws here, uh, which uh, which we will all see uh, develop very soon. That's it for today. Chazak ve'ematz and happy learning.